That wasn't me like subtly dropping that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so I've, I've begun the life of chronic sleep deprivation and catabolism and fingers and bums. It's been pretty good. Hey, man. I mean, if, if that isn't the shit, I don't know what is. <laughs> I'm sure it's the same with you. Like, <laughs> yeah, mostly it's fingers a, and bums. Although I, I was doing that before I even got my doctorate. So, <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, just off the payroll for it. Welcome to the Propane Business Podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Yusuf. We set up and built propanefitness.com into the profitable, semi-automated system that it is today, which allowed us to quit our corporate jobs and coach online full-time. More importantly, we were able to do this without a huge online audience or being glued to social media every day. We're now ready to share everything from the failures we've made to the systems that now consistently generate hundreds of thousands in revenue. We help personal trainers, coaches, and gym owners do the same by avoiding the mistakes we've made and the best practices going forward. Subscribe to this podcast to learn what we're doing and what we've done to build and scale propanefitness.com. We'll be teaching you how to generate a steady flow of online clients, win at Facebook ads, automate your coaching systems, and to achieve financial independence. I guess trying to maybe unpack that or is there anything you think that that you did that that led to that or anything you do differently or just advice for people um it's called matt ogus matt ogus yeah that, that that's the uh pretty that's much that. the whole catalyst for me being known <laughs> and then i'd say bryce lewis and then i'd say omar isaf without them i'm that's pretty it. much just some some guy with a hat yeah all right so. well i reckon it's been great chatting um, <laughs> I actually, I I can remember exactly when I first heard of you, and it was through Matt Ogus. So you told him. There's a video of Matt Ogus not wearing very very many clothes, wearing very many clothes, and you're standing in a room with him with the rest of the 3DMJ crew, and that was when I I saw that video and I thought I'm going to email that man and ask him if he'll coach me. And that was how uh, that was how I first. And Matt August didn't respond. You're like, well, I'll meet on that, meet on that <laughs> other guy in that video. <laughs> he looks all right as well. <laughs> he's in, he's in quite good shape, isn't he, Matt August? Yeah, man, he's got a fantastic physique. Yeah. Absolutely. So, how did you first start coaching him? Um, coaching him. Well, we we had just started 3DMJ, um, which is our online coaching business, in the end of 2009, and we had been doing our thing. Um, through all of 2010 and I didn't know who it was at the time, but Jeff and I actually went to a show in October, 2010 locally in Sacramento. And we saw a kid with really good muscularity, but who was probably 20 plus pounds over stage weight. And we both looked at each other and said, he'd do really well if he was lean. Uh, and I didn't know it, but that was Matt Ogus who we saw. And then a few months later, um, we got, I can't remember if we actually got an application on our website or this was, this was early days or if we got, um, a phone call or, or just a direct email. But anyway, Matt had decided he wanted to compete. Um, and his previous approach didn't get him in shape. And when I actually talked to him, he was just like trying to grow into the show. So he was just adding volume and trying to eat at maintenance and trying to like recomp into shreddedness. Um, doesn't work by the way. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so anyway, um, so I actually called him up and he said, Hey, I talked to, uh, and you know, he, he mentioned a bodybuilder who trained at a similar, at the same gym I did. He's like, Hey, he told me to get in touch with you guys. And, um, he was, I think only like 16 weeks out from his show. So we had to kind of get the ball rolling real quick, uh, took a pretty aggressive approach and, um, he responded really well to, uh, 
uh, to, to, the, to the approach we took. And I was, a, you know, had to increase his calories from the start just to prevent him from losing too quickly. And that was his 2011 uh, Matt versus uh, like YouTube series. And um, it went really well. We had a really good coaching relationship. He responded great. He completely destroyed his physique from 2010. Um, competed at like 155 pounds as well compared to like i think he was on stage at like 190 and you could definitely tell the difference um and maybe like 180 i can't remember but anyway he was uh he was in great shape and um it was just a big eye-opener for him because he understood energy balance and he started uh following a much more straightforward progressive overload based approach versus kind of more of a uh pump and feel and get sore kind of more subjective approach to bodybuilding. And, uh, that's when he, uh, really started to push the YouTube channel. And I remember this was early days in YouTube. He asked me, Hey, do you mind when I do my check-ins? If instead of just sending you pictures, I send a video of me, um, you know, going through it. And I think I'm going to make a vlog of this. And I was like, sure. Yeah, man, whatever. And then like one of the weeks I was paying attention. I just noticed that the view count uh, was like thousands, uh, which is the equivalent of like, tens of thousands today in the modern YouTube channel. And I was like, what is going on here? Which normally only um, happens when you have a one-on-one client that's a bit of a creep and just keeps re-watching the video because they're just... <laughs> oh, what oh, coach. They just have it on re <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, and then this was, this was at least twofold in excess of, of me creeping my clients like I normally do to see the view count. So, so anyway, the view count was huge. And I, and I, then I showed the rest of the coaches like, what's going on here? And then it was only, man, it was a matter of months before we started getting so many client requests, uh, through DMJ that we could not satisfy them all. We created a Skype program to try to deal with the overflow. We had at one point a waiting list of over 300 people. Um, and, uh, Matt blew up on online and, uh, and then in his, uh, off season, he asked me to like, Hey, would you come on the channel? You know, but we both live, live in Sacramento and I know my, my audience would love to hear me ask you fitness related questions. And that's those kind of infamous videos of me sitting outside of Rubio's with Matt or outside of the powerhouse gym, uh, standing there while, you know, ambulances go by and we're trying to ask questions with classic 2012 quality. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of, that was when I was, um, first awared of to people on on the interwebs i think right around that time that was the i mean not age. that i wasn't doing shit before that was yeah i mean that was kind of like you know most people they get these huge bumps in in in, in viewership and those opportunities are something you can either you know capitalize on or or not uh, or you can just you know use the opportunity to look really really stupid and i'm glad that i had that opportunity in 2011 and 12 not earlier, because I think that was right around the time I would say that I was I actually had some value, you know, and there was might might have been something worth hearing me say. Um, I had just finished or was just about to finish my master's. Um, I, I had been teaching at uh, Bryan College, a uh, associate's program, associate's degree program, which is kind of like a in the states. It's basically like the first two years of a bachelor's. Um, since it applied associate's degree program for personal training, I'd been teaching there for about six months. I had been a personal trainer since 2005 and I'd done, uh, you know, uh, three seasons of bodybuilding and a handful of powerlifting meets and coached, you know, double digit number of competitors in both sports. So I was, um, I had cut my chops, if you could say, um, theoretically and, uh, in, in practice with myself and my clients. And I 
you know, I think I was able to provide some utility and, um, and I'm decent at speaking probably because my lecturing experience. So it, it kind of came together and that's, that's basically, um, when I became a known quantity in, uh, in the www dot world, if you will. <laughs> it's such an interesting set of serendipitous things that, that have happened there as well. Like if, you know, you saw Matt Ogus, <clears throat> he was on your radar you didn't go over and say like, ah, oh, I think you'd look quite good, twenty pounds lighter, and put him off. Um, and then the guy in his gym, and and I suppose like what you had to offer as well was a message that the fitness industry was really ripe to hear at that time, which was like, mm. twenty twelve golden age of fitness. We're all deep in T Nation forums and worrying about our lucine timing and like our, our rep tempo and all this kind of stuff. And I think at that point, you you've almost like. I think what the message that you that you kind of started seeding is what's precipitated the a big shift in online fitness over the last few years towards like the pyramid calorie balance and like the likes of James Smith and so on I think are kind of the children of that message that's been a, of like a, basically a case of guys get your priorities in order. Mm. I I would man that's awesome to hear that I'd like to think so. The um and it's funny, I, uh, obviously the only perspective I have is the one through my own eyes, but a lot of the things you're talking about um, almost felt like me reacting to what I was seeing once I became a known quantity, like uh, putting out science-based information and seeing that there was a hunger for that was cool. And then when we started that Skype program, which was the direct result of us blowing up because we became a known quantity through YouTube, um, that's when I started. I mean, there was literally a period where I was doing five Skype calls with five different people per week for a year and a half. Um, and that was starting in, I think, 2011 into 2012. And I was, it was at the point where well, I remember one morning uh, or one afternoon I was grabbing uh, brunch with my wife. And I had just done one of these Skype calls in the morning here in New Zealand. And uh, she was like, you know what? I bet I could do your Skype calls. Like, I, I, I know what you say for each one of these people. And I'm like... <laughs> You know, it's like they all have the same questions, babe. Like every single person, they know everything, but they have no ability to, to, to put it into an integrated system. They, you know, like there's all this sciencey information out there, but it's all like these clickbait titles. And they don't know whether having, you know, protein around their training is any more important than progressive overload. It's all just like this is the next big thing. This is super important. And these people come to me with 100 variables and no idea how to manipulate them. So my... Uh, the Muscle and Strength Pyramids, the, the video series I did. Some people only think of them as a book. That video series on nutrition that I did it was in late 2012. Just think and the I did camera that. like under your chin and with a whiteboard like in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's me going into the – so I'm, I'm doing my, my second master's in nutrition at AUT. That's me going into the little postgraduate <laughs> meeting room, taking my S3 and putting it on a chair and then going over to the whiteboard. And that's all that, all that was. And I – I made that series, like, I'd say 80% was just because I knew it would be helpful to people. But a solid 20% of that motivation was because I wanted people to contact me, ask me this question, and be like, just, just read, just watch this. Like, I, I'm going to slip my wrists if I have to go through this again. You know, this is the 120th time for me. Um, so that, that, that kind of logical construction of, of that hierarchical importance and, and saying, like, look, all this shit matters, but 
some of it doesn't matter at all for your goals. And maybe for, for your goals, it does matter a little more, but it's certainly not as important as this. And if you don't have this in order, don't even think about that. And like, if you haven't, you don't even know like how many calories are in protein yet. You're worrying about having exactly this, this amount, you know, post-workout, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that became something that I probably sent that video out to half people who emailed me, messaged me on Facebook, et cetera. And then, then other coaches started sharing it around because they had the same, you know, say they were doing the same thing I was, you know. So it became uh, something that I was like, wow, there's there's apparent this is there's there's a need for this. You know, I think at the time, the voices in the evidence based community were were like comically like a meme of themselves, like there was myth busting and nothing else or selling science is marketing. So it was like, like you said, the Teen Nation article where it's like post-workout nutrition, the reason why you're not Mr. Olympia. It's like basically like, you know, like the, the kind of standard. I read so many that. of those articles and, just thinking, yeah, like, yeah. oh no, I need to buy more leucine now. I need to get more of the Absolutely. hydrolyzed casein and yeah, 100%. Gary, yeah. before we continue, can you, can you hear a high-pitched noise? No. 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 There is one in my room. I don't know where it's coming from, but I just want to check. So Johnny lived next to a guy who was learning the tin whistle and would practice (laughs) religiously for like three hours a day, exactly whenever Johnny would record a podcast or a video. And uh, I think it's someone who is a keen subscriber of the Propane channel and waits until there's a live stream and is like, right, quick, it's my time to shine, my time to get the The exposure that I deserve. Yeah, the tin whistle exposure. That's how he's gonna make it. So I, I think what what you described there, Eric, is like a, almost like an organic scaling of the way that you disseminate is your the way that you spread your seed around, um, which is like you have uh, you, you were one on one coach. You got a kind of law of loose ties uptick in exposure from the content you were producing. Suddenly, there's a a, a big inflow of new inquiries, new clients, you're handling as many as you can. You're responding to the same questions on, on Skype. So you make a video, you paste the video out, and then that kind of evolves into how can I, how can I send this message out at more scale and outgrow my, my own capacity for how many clients I can deal with in a day. And so I think we were quite lucky that we, we were working with you just before that kind of inflection happened and you stopped, you stopped taking on new clients. Yeah, yeah there, there, so there was a number of things that all all led to that. So the um, my master, my second master's that I did in New Zealand, I was at the peak coaching I'd ever done numbers wise online at the time as I was actually doing my master's, and that was as hard as it sounds. Um, and I realized this was just simply not sustainable. So as soon as I was able to secure a uh, scholarship for my PhD, which I was like really betting on. Um, I was like, right, that I need to figure out what's what's the most amount of clients I can I can essentially stop working with, um, so that I can still make make ends meet with the PhD scholarship. And I I think a year into my PhD, I could come down from the mid forties down to the mid twenties. So I basically got got cut in half. Um, and that wasn't for me like being like, guess what, I'm doing a PhD you can deal with your eating disorder, eating disorder on your own. It was more like I just stopped taking on new people, like you guys said. And um, so essentially, if you do a good job as an online coach, in my opinion, you'll have 
a, a large stable of people who will keep coming back to work with you, especially if you're in kind of like strength athlete community, because a lot of people don't necessarily need help with the off season. If they're a bodybuilder, a lot of people don't necessarily need help when they're not 12 weeks out from a meet or something like that. If they're a powerlifter, it's typically when you really need some objectivity and some guidance and someone who is not you to deal with the, the curveballs that, that life throws at you <clears throat> and to kind of see your blind spots because they're, they're blind spots. Um, so I would have this rotating stable of athletes I would work with, but then with no, nothing new coming in. So it was just slowly, slowly, slowly shrinking, but it wasn't until I'd say 2016 where I was down to just a handful of my, the people I'd like right now, I can think of a single digit number of people who could hit me up for coaching, depending on what they're doing in their life. Uh, and what that results in is me basically having a handful of people at any given time. Um, and I found that for my personal mission statement and the impact I was trying to have in the community that had given me so much, which is like the bottom the strength community, if I wanted to, to give back and pay it forward, I found that I was, I felt like I could have a much larger impact doing more things like the muscle and strength pyramid videos. Um, and that also, wow, this, this is something scalable. Like obviously if I, if I get rid of all my, all my online clients and I just make YouTube videos I would be making YouTube videos, you know, in a box in the street because there, there wasn't uh, an income stream. So Andrea uh, approached me with the idea of making the pyramid videos because I made, I made a training pyramid video in 2015 um, uh, into books, which we released at the end of 2015. And those were wildly successful compared to what I expected. You know, I expected like, hey, well, they've, they've seen the videos. They, this is just the nerdy version of those with references, you know. Um, of course, like, I overwrote them. It, it, what it, looking look, looking at them now, they're not overwritten. They're just good good books. I'm pretty proud of them. But compared to what we had planned, which was basically just a transcription of the videos and then making it into non-spoken English so it was easy to read and dropping in a few references. But they were the same references that I put in the comments of the videos. So they'd be like these pamphlet ebooks. They're overwritten, but they're <laughs> written appropriately. You know, they're. I mean, we've we're in the second edition now, and we've been translated into. Uh, Portuguese, Spanish, Italian, Chinese, with with Japanese in the works, and uh, and, and hopefully ger ger German on the horizon. And they have, you know, I think across all mediums and all languages, we're, we're probably approaching like fifty thousand book sales. So it's clearly I didn't do anything wrong there, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, we so yeah, but scalability is a huge part of it, and finding a way to um, make it so that I could I could make a living from not coaching and doing what I thought was my uh, my pathway to making it the biggest impact. So what was the maximum number of clients you managed, one-on-one, 40-something, did you say? So at my peak, 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 I had 44 people reporting on a weekly basis, and then I was doing, on average, four Skypes per week. So wow. On top of a master's? Correct. <laughs> yes. That is a lot. It was too much. It was yeah. too much. The only time I had been more busy than that was a year prior to that, where I had slightly less online clients, but I was teaching 30 hours a week at the Bryan University Personal Training University, and I was doing my prep in 2011, <coughs> uh, and I was doing my first master's in exercise science online, uh, while I was also doing in-person PT with about 10 to 15 clients at the time that it trickled down. So, so kind of and, and hit the scales. Yeah, I was burning the candle at, at every end 
Um, and just to add insult to injury, I was preparing for that second master's. So I was actually working on a literature review for my second master's and, um, and, and to get the stipend that helped me make every, make everything work for that huge move. Cause it's very expensive to move your, yourself and your wife and your cats to a, a foreign country and, and kind of start over, especially cause now, now Barb, her, 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 her job was gone. You know, she was a dog trainer with a full client load and we moved to New Zealand and she had to start over. So that income went away. Um, and, uh, anyway, so another thing that I was doing was I was doing grading for an, an online, primarily online class at AUT called enhancing muscular performance. So I was like <coughs> doing a graduate there. Um, so it was, I, I mean, a lot of the times people will say that they don't have the time to do something and it means really they don't have the emotional energy or the structure or the like the mental energy to deal with it like it's just too much like they need some downtime this was the one time in my life we're talking uh, mid 2011 to mid 2012 where i literally didn't have enough time for things when you looked at um like i was studying uh for my masters i would choose the elliptical with with the largest like i don't know podium thing in front of it because i would put literally my books on it and study while i was doing my cardio because there's no other time to study um and Barb and I, because she was she was also dieting for, uh, she was trying to cut down to the 114 class in powerlifting. And then while she was down there, she was like, you know what, I should try a figure show just to see if it's, you know, something I like. And um, so so for the two thirds of my prep, she was also dieting. So I mean, we did our cardio together. We went on walks in the morning, and then I did more cardio at night to study. So that's the only reason we maintained like a real relationship. Because besides that, we'd eat dinner together, and maybe each night we would have an hour and a half to two hours where we'd sit and, and just like watch Netflix between like eight to 10 before I went to bed and started it all over again. Cause it was get up, uh, complete my, my, my posts and stuff for my online class, go to the gym, get back and, and go to the gym with my books. So I study get back, um, prepare and go to class. Oh, sorry. No coach. Do my online clients, uh, do my in-person clients, and then go and teach at Bryan College from like uh, five to ten. So I teach night classes. Come home, and that's it. That was it, pretty much every every day for except weekends. So um, that was the busiest I'd ever been, and that was I was like, that's why I didn't compete uh, in bodybuilding until 2019 again because I wanted to. I did my my masters and my PhD, and I was like, I'm not getting on stage again while I do that. So anyway, burning the candle at both ends like, like that is it's just absolutely. it's not good for your physique anyway is it like i've definitely noticed like a similar situation to yourself like this weekend <clears throat> 14 hour shifts so working um 8 till 8 a.m to 9 30 p.m in the hospital set calls at 7 a.m calls at 10 11 p.m like you just end up like if you can fit training in quality dwindles and it's it's definitely something that yeah you're like I'm going to have to try and take out the lowest yield activities in my life just to be able to find time to eat and to be able to, to function. And then, so yeah, I can definitely see how it's not a pieing off your clients because you want to, but it's just like, guys, I haven't got the physical capacity to be doing this right now. Yeah. And man, I, I, something that I've been struggling with my entire second half of my career is learning to say no. Um, like, I went through a period of say yes to everything. I was like, Jim Carrey, yes, man. And that was really, really valuable for my career. And I had to put in these ridiculous hours, I think, to get to where I am today to 
hopefully have the opportunities that I've, you know, I discussed one of them, Matt, Matt Ogus, but there've been others, you know, opportunities to come to me and then to capitalize it and to not just, you know, Dunning Kruger all over myself and fail. So to be in a position to, to, to recognize opportunities, see which one aligned with my mission statement and then capitalize on them and succeed uh, and, and more than more, more than, than, than I failed at, I think was um, part and parcel of me putting in that, that time and effort. Um, and I think that's great. Most people will have to do that, especially if they're trying to make it in this very, very crowded uh, space. Um, but it once you get set up, you are now your entire focus will even like your self identity is all around like I'm the do everything man, and that that is definitely a finite thing. That is, it's not even good leadership because it's not like that's not a healthy way to live. It's not what we want our clients to do. It's not the what we want people to do. It's not the way to live your life. So turning that ship is critically important to now start going right. I've established all these things. I need to put my energy into them, and I need to build what I have, and I need to take care of myself. If I'm out here trying to help others, then I need to. You know, take care of myself first and foremost, and that that means you have to start learning to say no to a lot of stuff, and that's not easy. Like when I when I get someone who I like, who I've worked with before, who uh, you know needs help, I know I can help them, and they say, "Hey, can we work together?" It takes a lot of effort for me to go no. You know, it might come across a simple email, um, but it is it's just hard for me, and I think. I don't have a great batting average with that. Like, there's definitely times when I've taken on someone, not been able to give them the effort I wanted, and let them down and let myself down, and go. And that that's a kind of a self-correcting thing. It's like I shouldn't have said yes, you know, or uh, you know, doing something that objectively you should be really, really happy about, like you know, writing a book chapter for for a personal training thing, or or presenting in a foreign country, or talking about bodybuilding, and getting to see some place in, in Europe or, or South America or something like that. Uh, all these cool things that I've that I've given that I've had the opportunity to do purely from you know picking shit up and putting it down, which is crazy to me. Um, sometimes there have been moments where I have not been enjoying it because I've been overstressed, and I think that's just that's like tragic. Like I look yeah, at myself and I go, Eric, like you, you love end- lifting. You you have to like you, you should not be unhappy right now. That you end up resenting the things that are great opportunities because exactly. you're so overstretched. And and yeah, like letting down a client. There's there's a bit. I, for me, obviously, letting down a letting down a client. You're like, I, this is someone who's come to me and they want my help, and I've not been able to serve them. And also, it's a bit of an ego hit because I'm. I, I yeah, you mm-hmm. know, you identify like being the can do everything man, the super productive person that can juggle all these plates, and it's almost like it's an ego hit to say like actually, I can't. I can't manage this right now. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. It's um, it's it's the kind of humility building that I wouldn't mind doing if it was in like like me doing something like 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 when you when you think you can get a PR and you miss it and hurt your back like that's great. You know it sucks, right? Like you hurt your back, you know. But it reminds you that you're human and that you should maybe should be a little more cautious and a little more thoughtful and uh, you know lead from you know the thinking part of your brain rather than the feeling part of your brain. Um, but when you do that at someone else's expense, it just like that stuff still keeps me up at night sometimes. So I, I'd much rather fail myself than fail someone else. Um, both keep you humble, but but one affects other people. So I, I 100%. Yeah, I think we went through a similar <clears throat> a similar sort of like it was it was around the time we were working with you, and I think we started doing we started taking on more and more one on one clients, and it got to the point where like I, I was looking back at some videos the other day of me 
of us we because obviously i think you working with you gave us a model of like this is what um like our experience from being coached by you was a really positive one this is what being a good coach is like so we try to emulate that and, and copy aspects of it so video replies at like you know half past one in the morning like I remember forgetting to check in with you or like checking in with you at like crazy o'clock and sort of looking back at the video and thinking, I made no sense in that video whatsoever. <laughs> so that you aggressively get to the, you know, like, everything's going okay. But you, what you're saying before about like you, you because you, you feel so privileged to have someone ask for help, you're like, yeah, 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 like everyone, you know, more, more, more clients, the better. And then you reach this point where you're like, this isn't viable. And I can't yeah. see myself still doing this in a year's time, two years time. So very hard, you have very a- hard to shift that as well, because then you've yeah. got loads of grandfathered clients in at really low rates. Yeah. And yes. to then you, you've then got to either like really course correct and change the model of coaching for everybody at once and just let those chips fall where they do or say like, okay, guys, we're going to have to either increase the rate or drop these people. It's a it's, hard decision. It's yeah, I, I don't. I don't hear it ever get spoken about that everyone's like marketing, marketing, sales, sales. But if you mm. if you eventually figure that out, and you have forty clients paying you on a one on one basis as a side thing to the rest of your life, like yeah. as, as you've experienced, Eric, it's a it's a. I, certainly, my experience of it was I started to resent it. Like mm-hmm. I was to get to the point where I was like, actually, this isn't this isn't worth like the the knock in health and like the rest of my life. Did you have a moment where you were the the? I know you mentioned you made the YouTube videos, but did you have a moment where you're like, I need to, con- we need to restructure 3DMJ, or we need to stop doing this? Was there a, a, like a tipping point for it, or was it a gradual? It's more like I had like, like if you think of like a gear turning, and each one of the the things being a tipping point, I had like a like a twenty headed gear. There's so <laughs> many moments I can remember. I um, I tend to be. I often would be the person who would be the latest adopter out of the coaches for um, making myself more structured. I remember you probably don't, don't, don't think of that when you think of me, but like I probably was, was too accessible and too connected with my clients for a while. Um, I remember there was a, a moment where Jeff, Brad and Alberto were only scheduling uh, Skype calls and client reports on their weekdays and they had their weekends off unless someone was competing. And it took me a full year after all, all three of them had done that before I started doing that. And if you go a year before that, I was the last one to actually give specific days to clients. But there was these moments where I just got completely overwhelmed and I was looking up and I was like, how is it that Berto has twice as many clients as me? And he's not overwhelmed. Some of that's just Berto's the man when it comes to, um, you know, online coaching and, and keeping, you know, his, uh, like you could ask him any of his people. He, he knows like, Oh yeah, it's his sister's birthday. I'm like, what? You know, he also but, seems um, like a man that can tolerate a lot of physiological stress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 emotional. and like, he's just, he just, he, um, he can operate in, in like a sea of chaos and just handle it all, you know? Um, and so anyway, the, yes, hundred <laughs> percent. And, uh, like, like just, uh, Incredibly well ma- ma- managed at all, and I think it's because he 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 operates very uh, big picture and emotionally. Like he's not incredibly like analytical or point by point, so he can handle the, the thing. But anyway, the um, over e- each one of those tipping points that your guys are describing, we created systems around that, and that was good, and then bad. So 
I had a specific day that the client would report it on. And I the things, hey, I'll get back to you within 24 hours and you report. If you report off the day, then, you know, now you're with another seven people who are coming on Tuesday. So that means you're going to get a report back from me after that. So it might be after 24 hours. It's kind of the social contract's been breached. So you're just going to get what I get what you get. Um, and, you know, the, the, the Google spreadsheets became more specific, make sure I'm getting information I want and not too much, uh, guidelines around the videos they send me. And really it was all about setting boundaries and expectations and structure so that um, I got to the point where, you know, I could, I could give a, a very high quality response to someone, look at the spreadsheet, get the information I needed, look back through the email tree. So, hey, you're responding all in the same email, uh, look at all their data and be able to listen to them, watch them, see their lifts or their physique, depending on what, you know, whether bodybuilder or powerlifter, and get back to them within 15 minutes, you know, sometimes. Sometimes as much as an hour, like if it's a really big deal or we need to Skype or whatever. Um, but that's kind of like average response time. And uh, you can imagine that, you know, if I got 44 clients, that's on average six or seven clients reporting, you know, basically, or up to eight clients reporting uh, on, on five to six days a week. And that worked great because that's basically a four-hour day. And then I'm, then I'm going to go do my master's. But the issue is that just because you've created a system to handle 40 or 45 clients doesn't mean that each one of them, when they start to have problems and, and like they, these problems often bleed outside of the structure, that compounds. So like, for example, July, when the, 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 the most of the bodybuilding season occurs – uh, or the holidays when most people struggle with uh, with with their nutrition or their goals or et cetera, and that's when you start noticing. Oh, I'm getting I'm getting a few Instagram messages here, or I'm getting a few Facebook messages here, or I'm getting more emails midweek to ask questions, or I'm I, now now I'm not getting some reports, and I have to actually step outside of my system and follow up with them. I'm not reacting now; I have to be proactive. Um, and okay, now I need to schedule a Skype. We got a big thing going on here, and oh, I got to write some peak week plans, or I got to write a new program, or oh, you got hurt. You know, like all of those things. Um, you're you're essentially like it's almost like an Olympic lifter is in this perfect position with a clean and jerk, and you've maximized your form over 20 years, and you're at the end range of motion, and someone comes in and just like kicks you in the leg, like <laughs> you know, like not ideal, right? Because sure, you can you can support 200 kilos overhead. But only if you do everything just right and you've been adapted for 20 years. So there were there were some times where that house of cards collapsed and um, it resulted in in me having to work multiple eight hours a day just to get back on track. And the even though that was a, a rare occurrence, the knowledge that, that could happen at any moment was this dark cloud that was hanging over me. And I, I wouldn't want to go on vacations. I'm in New Zealand. I don't want to go go out for a day trip and shit like that because it would stress me out. Um, and I've also got a master's, you know, so the, the motivation for me to bring that down during my PhD was very strong. Um, and I really like now that basically I, I can have emotional ups and downs and have my work that my output go up and down with it. I couldn't do that when I had 40 clients I put on, just like when you're an in-person trainer, you got to show up at the gym and you got to train from, you know, your, your morning shift, your, your lunch shift, and your after-work shift, and then you you got to do your own training <clears throat> session, so we'll still hire you, you know? And mm. that's it's that, that's like that whether you got divorced that day or whether you got in a car accident or not, you know? And the same thing is true with online clients. you got to still do good work. But now where I, I put out books, 
I do podcasts. I do like if I just strip down to the bare minimum and like I'm doing nothing from other books, I'm just doing my, my article, my video for mass. Uh, and I just, and I say no to the podcast for a month and I just do my, my weekly podcast with Omar and my biweekly one with, with 3DMJ. It's essentially 10 hours of work a week. That's not optimal. That's not how I grow my business. It's not how I really fulfill my mission statement and help a lot of people. But I can go dark like that for two months and people really wouldn't notice a whole lot. You know, I'd, I'd kind of repost some things on Instagram. I'd stay kind of a known quantity. And I've, I've had those moments, you know, like the hard part of contest prep, you know, or hard part of the recovery or just just not really feeling it. And it that's okay. Like that's necessary. Just, <clears throat> because if 100%. you don't, it sounds like, yeah, if you don't have that give in the system, then there's no room for creativity or for it to actually look, take a step back and look at the process <clears throat> as a whole. And as you said, like if you packed with clients and you've got someone who drinks a jar of pickle juice the night before his, uh, his bodybuilding show and, and gains 10 pounds, you're like, okay, I need to then Real story, by the derail way. my evening and, um, <laughs> and deal with this. It's like, absolutely. That's like the red alarm, like klaxon. Um, yeah. So with with these, because you know, I remember you recommended a book to me a while ago called The Gifts of Imperfection by Brené Brown. And mm-hmm. this was very much about setting those boundaries. Uh, there was a quote from it. It was like, you, you cannot practice compassion from a place of resentment. And boundaries are not this like evil thing to like push people away, but it's it's so that you can then create enough space to be able to operate within the scope that you have without pushing the needle so far that you're in, you know, low, low fuel mode and end up just, as you said, like being invited to all these great things, having great opportunities, but the whole time, because they've encroached on your boundaries a bit, you're just like, oh, I just want to sleep. I just want to have a bit of a rest. How, how has that impacted your, your personal life? Because I imagine now, like the increased exposure, you're getting a lot more people personally with with like, with more access to you and i suppose like pre- previously you might have been able to to field emails and private messages on facebook and that kind of thing whereas now like i imagine the floodgates have opened how do you deal with that personally yeah so th- 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 so this is basically now we're gonna i'm gonna take you out of the um the the, the era where i was primarily a coach and also creating content to so now just primarily being what i am as which a science communicator i would say um and that was a, like initially, I think just kind of the same way uh, it was when you when you're first with with online coaching. You don't you never expect to be in a position to have a, a consultation every morning, forty online clients, and a three hundred person waiting list. You don't expect that, and that'd be a fantastic problem to have. And in fact, you really shouldn't complain too much about it. The only thing you need to do is just make sure that all that you said if you, doesn't become a resentful relationship. It doesn't become this codependent relationship with 45 people and you actually set up a system to handle that and you know your limits you know your boundaries and you think about scalability you ask people to pay you what you're worth and what can actually make a living wage i mean man there was this is totally aside before i'll answer your question there was a point where we were only charging like 60 bucks a month for online coaching and i did the math one time and i was like if we each have 50 clients we're making less than the median wage income in the united states and we're working 80 hours a week this is crazy oh, this the, makes no there sense was periods where, where, where johnny and i would fantasize about going to go and work for starbucks because it's like it's more than <laughs> four pounds an hour and we're like oh and then you get exactly. home and then you can you know there's no stress you can go to sleep you don't have to worry about like half of this program is nine pounds that was fully customized like time yeah. loss and everything i can it's remember so if you don't mind like this may be a bit yeah, go ahead. Like, <laughs> so I think we were on a set like that sort of rate. And I can yeah. remember every month you sort of manually sending out PayPal invoices oh. and 
and me mm-hmm. just thinking like I remember sitting re- getting those emails thinking like man this must be like a, <laughs> a time consuming thing to, to, to manage yeah Yes. But, yeah. N- nonetheless, systems need to be improved over time. To but so, yeah. I, I, yeah. what I think, what, what I remember, like, st- struck me about that was, I it never felt at any time like you were doing anything other than just giving the best experience. Because even the email was like, <laughs> was like yeah, Eric, it was, your billing was shit. No, was like, even even the email was like, you know, if you can't renew, that's not a problem. Like, I just remember thinking, like, this is such a I'm, I'm dealing with like a, I don't know, someone that isn't the business almost. But I think that that's part of the impression. Because again, yeah. like a lot of the advice these days is so money focused. And I think sometimes people take their eye off the, like the human aspect of it. Um, and I yeah. saw a post on your, I think it was Instagram, something recently where you shared a, the James Clear book. And um yes. It's just how that was the, the you know how you felt that that was a, some of the best advice for, for PTs and personal trainers, um, but yeah, I don't I don't really I'm aware you have asked a question and I'm pushing you onto a, a different question, but I just no, it's I good. Felt like a natural. You tangented so. with me. I still know where where, where I'm All going. Right, still there. <laughs> so yeah, and and so the, the segue is basically like you know you have to create these systems to handle your eventual success as an online coach, yeah. Yeah. and know what your limits are, and then and then eventually you go either I'm happy doing this. Like, don't get me wrong, just like in-person personal training. Like, I, I knew some guys back in, in Sacramento who were in their 40s and had been training at bo- in, like, three different box gyms with a full client load for 15 years and loved it and were great. Absolutely awesome. They have, like, 85 different certifications after their name because they've been doing their CEUs for, for two decades. And, you know, they got they got their NSCA CPT back when the NSCA was, like, five fat weightlifters who were studying exercise physiology and meeting in a, you know, a single room at, 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 at a hotel room for their national conference. Um, and now it's, you know, huge and battling across it. But anyway, the, um, so like you need to have that and, and you, you may decide that's perfect for me. This is what I want to do. I'm a coach. I love it. I got my systems and I'm solid. Um, and like, for example, Berto, Brad and Jeff, they, they, they're full-time online coaches and that's hundred percent fine. And they may or may not always want to do that. But I think if, for example, I've had a, an academic career just as much as I've had an athlete career, just as much as I've had a coaching career. So there's all these things I, I want to do. And the, um, like I said, I, I, I felt that I could provide the most utility reaching a larger audience with, uh, content, you know, writing books, doing mass, appearing on YouTube, doing podcasts like this. Thank you guys. And, so slowly steering that ship was great. And then I think just like I was super excited when I first started online coaching and I didn't think about the systems I would need to handle success, uh, same kind of thing, you know. Um, and I'm really, really grateful that I didn't just write the books on my own, that I had, you know, Andy Morgan and Andrea who had some sense of that. And we set up uh, the, 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 the system and the team that could handle um, where those went, you know, because I didn't foresee – getting contacted by by publishing companies in foreign countries who want to who want to translate it just like i didn't foresee you know getting asked by greg knuckles in the and and tail end of my phd and be like hey you want to do a research review and if it wasn't for folks like andy and 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 Lindsay knuckles who is is the brains behind mass in terms of a you know the structural orientation and distribution and all that i would be screwed and i wouldn't be able to do all of this um and 
some of the things where I've set up systems as well on my own, like you said, with the floodgates of uh, Yusuf of me being larger. Like I remember I didn't even get on Instagram just to show you how initially bad I am at this stuff. I'm trying to be a science communicator in fitness, especially bodybuilding. You'd think a visual medium would be helpful, right? Um, I didn't get on Instagram until mid-2016. Um, and that was basically from – I did a, uh, a series of seminars in Australia with Lauren Conlon, Paul Revelli, and Lee Norton. And at every single place we went, there were a fair number of people who hadn't heard of, of me, um, probably because I wasn't on Instagram. <laughs> and each one of them like, so what's, what's your Instagram? I'll follow you. And I'd be like, ah, I'm on Facebook. And they're like – they look at me like, what the hell's wrong with you? And I think, I think after I'd had you know, half the population of Sydney, uh, Sydney, Melbourne, and Perth make fun of me, I was like, fine, fine. I'll do it. When I'll I do it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so that was 2016. Now I have nearly 120,000 followers and it's a completely different ball game uh, when you have that. So I have the vast majority of people I follow muted um, and I just check out. It's like basically the, the feed is, is, an, is an entertainment tool. And if you are using social media as a part of your business you eventually have to say goodbye or create a separate private account or whatever to using social media in that way or it becomes this counterproductive barrier. You get on Instagram to make a post, you start scrolling through your feed, you look up, and it's 20 minutes later. And honestly, even people who don't have a business sometimes are, are more hurt by than helped by their feed. Like how many times do you ask someone, like, are you following that person? Does this following this person actually make you happy or do you just hate yourself after a while, you know? <laughs> And I've actually been part of research showing that people really like sometimes are, are just Instagram and you have to really moderate your own behavior. So like, for example, Facebook, I've, I've used every trick in the book to make my feed non-existent or just highlight a couple key, key certain things that I want to follow. I pretty much only respond when I get tagged. All the kinds of notifications are off on uh, Instagram. Pretty much everyone is muted. No offense to anyone listening to this. It's just so that I can get in there and have utility and do my job, and then I'll check on people if I want. Um, and I don't touch my message requests for either Facebook or Instagram. Um, and I figure, you know, if someone really needs to get in touch with me at this stage, that's why I have, you know, the email to the 3DMJ office on, on, on my thing if it's, if it's something like that. And um, so I post once on Instagram at peak hours for my audience Make sure it's a post of utility on a daily basis. And if there's really something I can't figure out that has any utility on a daily basis, I just skip a day. So I'm not going to sit here and put out nonsense just to put out nonsense. And um, I very much only am on social media for that little block in the morning for basically two to three hours. Um, unless I'm asked a direct question or it's someone I know, et cetera, et cetera. So I've, I've definitely got this system. Um, and some other things that I do is I completely ignore YouTube comments. I... I've been uh, going to YouTube comments anonymous. YouTube is for... the dregs of of comments, though. Like, it's you know how like each <clears throat> each social media has its own kind of flavor, its its own like, <laughs> archetype of character. Facebook is forty five year old woman anti vaxxer believes that modern medicine is a scam and believes in natural <laughs> healing and CBD oil to cure lymphoma and <laughs> all, all diseases. Um, Twitter is like the uber woke. Um, polarizing, like f- flexing, and photos of Lamborghinis, and showing how much like screenshots of their Stripe account um, with like really bro bro sciencey kind of fitness advice. And YouTube comments are just like the the kind of nuclear wasteland of um, Jim cells. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> James Styles. <laughs> I always felt that YouTube was was all right, comment wise. But oh, I mean, we get some depends on which corner. Yeah, I mean, like if you find a good channel, it can be like honestly, like the 3DMJ channel has has, has a very different feel than, than a lot of the rest of YouTube Fitness, and it, it's definitely changing. Like, I mean, these platforms are not a monolith. Like, mm. uh, it, it is shocking to me that Jeff Nippert has well over a million subscribers now doing science based yeah. reviews. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, Omar Isaf has been around for ten years and partnered with him because you know because he's always put out really good information. So there's definitely exceptions, but there are these memes like, and it's even like you have to think about the negativity bias. Like, there there's some research that would suggest like positive comments just kind of flow by you like the wind, you know, and it takes like twenty times the number of positive things to have the same impact on you as one negative thing. So even though ninety nine percent plus of of, of the interactions I have are constructive, not even necessarily positive, but constructive, not, not, not vitriolic or attacking or, or emotionally harmful to me. Um, the 1% is enough to really cause issues, especially when you're with, with like 1% of a huge number of followers is a lot. Um, you know, so as, as it scales, you're, it's not like I have a hundred, a hundred times my followers of, of mental capacity now, like I'm still the same person. So, I'm actually still the, surprised that you get one percent of that that you get haters just because you're not you're not a very like um, polarizing you know like you, I, I feel I'm like quite you, boring. I agree. Like you know, <laughs> I'm trying to think. How do I put this? <laughs> you're a better target. Yeah. But, but yeah, it like, is very rare though. Is, is what I'm getting at. But uh, rare is, is scales relatively right. Um, and I don't know if it's one percent, but it's a small amount. But I know that it affects me. So. And different platforms have a different feel. Like on Facebook, those moments like force you to engage. It's someone who wants to debate you over something and in, in a way that maybe like not respecting your time, expecting you to do it immediately, um, you know, <laughs> misrepresenting you, tagging you multiple times, all this stuff. And it's like it's it's like I, I don't want to spend all my time doing this. If someone has a genuine comment and tags me and we can have a respectful discussion, I'm down at whatever pace I can participate. Um, but that's why I don't spend all my time on Facebook because it can just completely suck me in and then the day's gone. It's like if you um, want to eat 300 grams of protein, like that's that's fine. Like you can do that. I'm not going to argue with you about it. Oh, provide references. You're like, well, that's okay. You can you can do what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Facebook, I don't spend much time on at all. I just pretty much use it to interact with the mass groups and a few other places where, like, I do a Facebook Live or an AMA or something like that. But, um, and then, like you said, I'm not even on Twitter, and I just don't think it's a very useful platform. And there's a ton of scientists on Twitter, and they're basically just arguing with each other. Like, they don't even actually reach, uh, you know, people who would who would like to hear about applied science. Um, and Instagram is great because the the comments just don't steamroll and. Because you you like you can't tag people, you can't put links. They it's it's a double edged sword. It definitely limits the quality of the comment. But man, it's just overwhelmingly not negative relative to other platforms. YouTube comments, like you said, are just a general cesspool. Most of the time, that's where most of the trolls are. And the way I see it is like I put out so much content, both long and for, short form, that most of the time it's just a matter of. If the person messages me, it's helping them find what they need to <laughs> – here's the podcast episode. Here's a YouTube video where really like you're asking such an in-depth question that I can never answer it. 
and in an Instagram message to you. Here's my books. You don't have to buy them, but that's really the only place if you want to know everything my brain knows about periodization. That's chapter three. Like you can read it, you know, but um, but I, I can't really help you in this scenario. Or this is so individualized. I'm just going to send you to three MJ coaches. So it's that that ends up being my interactions now that I produce so much content, and I feel like you know every Monday you can hear me talk way more in depth than anyone ever should about lifting, uh, you know, and this happens multiple times per week. So I, I just, I find that there's a trade-off, right? So if you spend all your time as a science communicator answering individuals' questions, then that is time you, you can't do something else. Every yes is a no to everything else that is not that at that moment. And I think that is something I've had to realize. So then it comes down to really how do I provide the most utility? So it's not that I don't answer any questions at all. It's that if, and man, I, mean, I know there's some people listening to this who've asked me questions, have been annoyed. When people ask me questions, I'm very Socratic. I make sure that they understand what they're asking and I challenge them to think rationally and, and logically. And I will, I'll, you know, I'll kind of act like Mr. Miyagi. I'll be like, oh, you got this question. We'll read this and then let me know what you think when you come back. Um, and I think a lot of people are just, they're frustrated, but I'm not the bodybuilding Google. Like I'm actually, my, my purpose is to try to get people to understand rational skepticism and apply it to fitness. Because look, if, if you're going to be involved with fitness for more than a year, you're going to have to invest just a little more. You don't need to be getting a PhD, but you need to get to the point where you can deal with the barriers that come your way, you know, and the standard approach is putting your head down and, and go through it. Intensity is everything. Optimize everything like just rah, you know, mm -hmm. is only going to get you so far until you're hurt. So like I, I, I don't want to do a disservice and be, be a crutch to people. I'll ask, I'll answer questions when, when they, when they show that they've really thought about it and they've hit a dead end and I want to help them. Um, but most of the time it's I, here, here's where I discuss that where you need to understand this and this first, or is that even a relevant question? Ask yourself why you're asking this. Is this fear-based? Are you looking to me for reassurance? I'm not your safety blanket, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all these things. So it's, it's, it's hard conversations with myself of how can I provide the most value? How can I help the most people? What, what can I do within my purview, with my time and with my emotional state to provide the most utility? And that's kind of the lens I put everything through. Um, so that's kind of why you see me doing what I do and, and how I've, uh, justify to myself that it's okay to not answer every single question I get sent online or to not enter my requests and just answer the, the messages in, in my email or, or my, my primary messages. I think the most, so most people like the average person doesn't, has never done a Facebook live video, has never done a video podcast interview, has never, don't, doesn't, might post the odd sort of family photo on Instagram, that sort of thing. The idea of, you know, you move from that world into trying to market yourself or, or gain a following there's always as you say there's always a percentage of people who say nasty things and mm. I don't, maybe you much of it but certainly we've experienced and i know a lot of other people who've experienced like the the slightly darker side of the negative comments where people get like nasty and you know say personal yes. things and you know obviously if you were to interact with a, a room or a, you know a hundred thousand people in any context not that you'd ever really be able to do that but you know what I mean? Like you, you're going to, there's going to be one person in there who yeah. is, you probably don't want to spend much time with. Like how do you have any advice or, you know, for someone who goes from never experiencing that before, suddenly they do a video on Facebook and someone says something nasty about them or personal about them. I imagine you get, you've had a lot of experience with that. Any, any coping tips or 
how you how you sort of mentally deal with that. Yeah. Uh, yes, and it, it has happened, but I think some of the ways that I respond and I interact with it has kept it as possibly as minimal as it can be. Um, and I I feel almost arrogant saying that, but I know all the other people in my community, or the vast majority of them. Like I know all the other people who kind of do what I do, and I seem to get far less than 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 most. Not everyone. There are some people who are just on, on point on in this in their own way. But I notice what, what's done differently is that I try to approach the internet in a fundamentally different way than I approach in person. So you guys have, have seen me interact online, but you've also hung out with me in times I've come to London, right? Mm-hmm. And you guys know that I am happy to take the piss. I make a lot of inappropriate things I think are hilarious, really. I don't know about other people. I say some, some ridiculous shit. Um, but because I, you can see me, you can hear my inflection, I'm reacting to you. I've got a feel for, for, for what types of jokes you're cool with and what, not, you know, how, what kind of level of banter are you comfortable with. You know, I don't want to like poke you in some place that is, uh, that, that's actually painful, like it's a sore spot. I, I can say things with that level of context and, and inflection and interaction that, that's much more free. And you'll notice when I'm online, I am much more sanitized. I don't, it's not that I'm not funny. It's just that I'm not going to make an off-color joke or something that might not be understood as sarcastic or or speak in that way um, because so much of those things that you can have in person are gone. Um, and people do the exact opposite. You know, people are, are – they're, they're super nice and, and reserved and, and very like, you know, in, like introverted in person. And then when they get online, they're like, ah, fuck it. It's just the internet, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the exact opposite way you should behave if you want to minimize your stress because people can't tell. You know, it's like me having a private conversation with someone. That's how people think they're interacting when someone like tags you on Facebook and says, hey, what do you think about this? And you respond to them and we're trained like, oh, okay, this is Tom coming, you know, calling me on the phone and he's asking me a question. But it's not. It's everyone who can see that listening to your conversation and feeling that they have the right to step in or the obligation to, because you're saying it publicly to step in and go, hold on, you know, here's what I think. That, you that's know? really interesting. Cause I guess <clears throat> you lose the nuance of the 3d f- in-person mm-hmm. interaction and, and then also the cultural, you know, like certain cultures, certain English speaking cultures are not as au fait with sarcastic jokes as others. And, and I guess compounding that you have some people that are, it's kind of, I guess this new wave like, over the last five years of people that are like looking for something to be offended by, because it's almost like a sense of gratification from doing that. Like, we got Menno Hanselman <laughs> in, in trouble uh, recently, well, with a podcast, because uh, we asked him about alcohol, and uh, he was like, well, actually, uh, GHB is a perfect alternative to alcohol because it improves growth hormone output, it's much more conducive to muscle protein synthesis, but the problem is it's become classified as a drug because uh, it's used in date rape, and so all of these people going around date raping everyone, they are ruining our gains. And like, so we, we, we put that at the start of the podcast, and we got a tweet of someone being like, I can't believe these guys are joking about date rape. That's absolutely disgusting. It's like, we're not joking about date rape. Like, that's, that's, that's obviously yeah. not the... Uh, but We have a, a similar thing with... Um, we had Andy Morgan on the podcast. This is a few years ago. And he said on the podcast that he, like, does not work with women. 
and mm. posted that podcast and like the the messages we were getting from like about that of women being offended and you just don't know what like what do you say how do you you know it's, i'm not andy it's not my opinion <laughs> like it's just yeah we thought it was a nice podcast but you know and, and also not. like if you're a private if, if you're a private service provider you can choose what niche you work with yeah. it's not you're not but you, yeah you are being discriminatory but like that's just because you specialize in like you can say i'm a gynecologist i don't work with like things outside of my specialty like yeah, Andy purely does that. I mean, exactly. Things can be taken out of context. Like Andy does that because he doesn't feel comfortable. Like he couldn't provide a good service to women, mm. and you know that. Sure, that might say something about him, but it's it's not. It's him purposely trying to provide good service to he works with, not going. I don't yeah. work with women because they're the inferior sex. You know, yeah. that's not yeah, like the same his, thing. His explanation on the podcast is logically very solid. Like he's not. Yeah. But you know, people hear the the first sentence and then I yeah. right that's it like I'm, I'm taken to the internet with my with my pitchfork to, to start a fight so yeah it's a I think it is and it feels certainly kind of a, I guess people who maybe operate on social media is it like that's where my family photos are and that sort of thing maybe don't see it but it definitely feels like it's getting more the way of, of people looking for things to argue about and looking for to pick a fight um, especially on certain platforms well, social media rewards volume, not necessarily the uh, an equal representation of opinions, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and very, very loud, vocal, opinionated minorities. Um, I mean, a minority opinions are, are what typically uh, are seen and, and it, it colors our view because of that negativity bias. And it, it can feel it can feel like a very uncomfortable place to be. And that's often unfortunate because you're probably having a positive impact on 95% of people, and it's uh, you know a small section of people who have you know a, a skewed perception of things. And not that their view isn't valid necessarily, but the the way it feels as the person on the receiving side of it is, oh my god, I can't say anything, or I've got to be so careful, or maybe I just shouldn't even be on here. Like maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. I think it creates a lot of insecurity and prevents a lot of potentially good content. Coming out. So, so what I do is I'm extremely careful to make sure that I provide context, uh, that I make disclaimers, that I give information in a way that I'm doing everything I can in my power to make sure it's received in a certain way. Um, I think a big mistake a lot of people do is they they basically go, "Look, that's not what I meant," and if you receive it the wrong way, it's your fault. It's like, well, you know, like that's not the really way the way communication works. So I, I try to do everything I can on my end. And then when I interact with someone, um, I do everything in my power to try to operate from a place of trying to get to the truth and having it not be about me. So like, you know, the ego is the enemy kind of mentality. Um, so when I get challenged, I try to go, all right, I'm, I'm here to find the truth. And if the person keeps responding in a way that seems to be like they're competing with me or they're attacking me, I will normally just directly speak to that. I'm like, hey, it, it sounds like you're you want to win this this argument, or to you this is this is a, d- a debate, and the purpose is to win. Like, if 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 that's what you want to do, um, you know, feel free to do it. But I don't really want to participate in it. Here's the information. Here's the data. Here's how I interpret it. I, I, I respect. Your, your interpretation, that's okay if it's different. And let's just leave it at that. And people don't normally know what to do with that. You know, if, if they're truly just out there to try to get a, like a response from you, they troll you, there's, it requires something back from you. 
and not that, you know? So when you do that, it, it, it fizzles out very quickly. Um, I think I have gotten very, very comfortable with admitting when I'm wrong uh, or when I don't know. Um, I think the archetype we came from in the fitness industry is kind of like the, you know, no disrespect to the dead, but like the poliquin who is, I'm the smartest guy in the room, no matter what room it is. And I have an answer for everything, even if I just made it up. And I bought into my hype so much for the last 10 years that, you know, if you ask me a question, I don't know, I'm just going to speculate. And that is equivalent to scientific evidence because I'm the guru, you know, um, and you'll even see some people get like worse or in, worse information over time as they buy into their own hype more and more and more. You know, you see Charles Poliquin going from being the guy who first published anything about daily undulating periodization to you need to take one gram of fish oil for percentage body fat because I don't know, you know, or, or I'm going to pinch the skin fold and that's going to tell me that you have an endocrinological disorder. So like I, and that's an, a common theme. Like you can see that in a lot of the guys from the nineties. Um, and so I think seeing that and going, I never want to be that has helped me to stay. Like I, I try to steel man people instead of straw man them. I try to operate from a principle of charity. Like when I get asked a question, I'll re- repeat back to them and make sure I understand what they're saying. And then if we reach an impasse, that's fine. Like I, it just doesn't matter. It's not about me. So, and, and if someone does just directly attack me or just, talk shit to me like like the, it's purely just something hateful or primarily with some minor disagreement i become extremely liberal with just bam like like why you know there's, 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 this is helping no one you know um so i think those combination of things has has been really helpful for my sanity and my ability to spend more time putting out good content instead of interacting with things that are not helpful and when you and with just like you know the, the advice of look Obviously, we want a flexible diet and a good relationship with food. But if if almond butter turns into one tablespoon becoming the whole jar, just don't have it in the house. That's what I've done, like abstinence with YouTube comments. Like every time, every time I try to go back to YouTube comments, I get sucked in, and then it ruins my life for like a, a, like seventy two hours or whatever. That's so I just butter. I'm just not there. Yeah, exactly. Like YouTube comments, the, the the frequency or the vitriolic nature or just the pure trolling. The threshold is just a little above all of my coping strategies, so I'm just not there. So it's like, you know, I'm going to put this YouTube video out into the ether. If you have a question about it, you can ask me on Instagram. <laughs> you know, like, but if you never see it, like it doesn't – it essentially never exists, does it? So nothing's ever going to happen. So it's fine. Where would that, we absolutely. Are? Ostrich it. Yeah. 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 The James Clear thing. I'm aware that um, – Johnny segued my segue, and then I ended up segueing his segue of the segue. It was a yeah. So we, we both read Atomic Habits. Um, great, really like it. Yeah, really, really like it. Um, and just some of the stuff you well, what you, what I what I took from your post, and I think what um, what we took from working with you and sort of using that as the foundation for you know how to coach people online because there isn't really, or especially back then you couldn't really go to someone and learn that, right? It was a, mm-hmm. it was like an evolving thing. And I think it's quite difficult to communicate with someone, with someone who's often <clears throat> telling you, you know, that's, that's, they're sharing intimate photos in a, in a legal way. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're telling things about their, their personal life or their kind of their emotions that are, are quite close to them. And you have to guide them through this journey. It can be quite difficult to learn how to do that. And mm. I think some of the stuff that you pick up in, where well, you pick up in sort of learning how to be a coach is that actually the things that 
you maybe think matter, like the extra nutrition certifications or the, you know, kettlebell level 40 or whatever it is, like you think that's the answer, but actually it's, it's kind of your, your ways of dealing with behavior, your ways of helping someone improve their behavior and modify their behavior slightly over time. I think, yeah, the, the, your point about like the atomic habits as being a great resource for a PT is probably something that people don't ever think about. Like it's, it's pushed to one side because I've got to learn sales and marketing. I've got to learn YouTube and Facebook and social media and extra nutrition certification. So is that, I guess if you could, if you could give some advice to someone who's maybe just starting out as an online coach or a, or a skill that you feel is like the core skill or a way to develop a way to start developing is that way would you begin there rather than qualifications or do you think yeah, one's required and i almost think it's a uh, it's needing a paradigm shift on the way you view the coaching relationship and then you will automatically start to value things differently and see the importance of that i think if, if you see online coaching as primarily i write programs and nutrition and tell people what to do mm-hmm. uh, then you'll make sure you're good enough at excel uh, you'll stay up to date with the science, uh, and then you'll you know you'll you'll get comfortable adjusting macros and adjusting you know volume and intensity. Not that those things don't have value, um, and, and these are also people who are like oh shit I, I don't want anyone to steal my Excel spreadsheet you know because and it just shows you where their values are like this, this is me I am my systems I am my program I mm. am this and and the, these are my secret sauce I got to keep it. Um, and again, those things have value. Don't get me wrong. They're important. Um, but if that's what you see as you're doing, that, that kind of has this inherent idea. This is a, a top-down coaching approach, right? You come to me. You, you, you come to an expert, meaning you don't know what you're doing, and you want me to fix you. And, and I think people put that out there as well. Like, here's, here's how I help Tammy uh, change her, her transform over 12 weeks. I'll put out this, trans, this 12, 12 week transformation. Or here's how many pro cards I got in the 2019 season. Or here's how many competitors we had at nationals or, or, or worlds. Or here's how many medals we, my athletes won this year. You're selling yourself like a product, right? Um, and you'll hear people who go coach shopping. Like, oh, I worked with, the, they come to you and they've worked with five other people, right? which is already a huge red flag. But it's not just that that person's a problem client, quote-unquote. It's that coaches are marketing themselves as supplements. They're saying, come to me for a 12-week transformation. I'm the best. So they're like, ah, I'm just going to try the coach until I have the, the, the instant results. Instead of saying, I'm here to help you achieve your goals. I'm the person who can collaborate with you, develop a relationship and then give you the tools you need to succeed and, you know, be the person with the hand on your shoulder behind your back to support you when things aren't going well. And we can go back to the drawing board and figure it out. So I think if you understand that the role of a coach, that it is a client centered, you know, bottom up approach and that you are there in a support role, you're not the captain, you're the navigator. Now, now this captain may be their first commission. They maybe their goal is to try to get to through through the ice passages o- o- over the North Pole, right? They've never done it before, and you're a seasoned navigator who's done that 14 times. You're gonna like it's not like you're just gonna be like yes sir whatever you want to do. You're gonna be like nah, I think this ice bridge will be closed. It was this time last year. We shouldn't take this course. Maybe we should bring some lime juice so we don't get scurvy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like. This, this you know, 21-year-old captain has never been there before. You have. 
you're the best resource, but they're still the captain. It's so interesting. It's their boat. The, like, it's, it's their commission. Yeah. It's their goal, and you're to support that. And I think if you have that understanding, then you can be like, oh, the client has the answers to all their own problems. They're, the, they're my primary source of information. My primary source of information is not in in my NSCA handbook. Like this, this isn't where I'm going to get the answers to fix my client. This is, you know, my, my toolbox, but I need to assess them first and be like, hey, what, 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 what do you need? And I, I need to get out, okay, what's going on with you nutritionally? Where are you at emotionally? What is your, your social dynamic with your family? All the things that are the potential barriers, they come from them. And the, and the solutions also come from them. But I think a lot of coaches, they come from that kind of like that guru mentality. And it's like, I have all the answers. You just need to do what I say. And if you get one little tiny thing wrong about my program, it's on you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you know, like, so oh, you're 10 grams over on, on your carbs on Wednesday. That's why you, you failed the pro, you know the plan. So I it's, think that that's it was your that's fault. But if, but if you win, then it's then it's all me. It was all, <clears throat> and it's it's so interesting, like to see coaches as supplements, and I guess like that that is the Kool Aid that the guru coaches have been making. But the clients are drinking it as well, and we'll, we'll often have fitness clients that will say like, oh my god, thanks so much, like you've completely transformed me. And it's like, well, no, like you you've done the work, yes. like you're the one that's gone to the. We have we've not lifted the weights for you. <clears throat> we've just like just mm-hmm. said go and lift these weights for this this mm-hmm. amount of times and in this way but you've done you've done the work but it's like they've internalized this idea this <clears throat> transactional dynamic so much that they are prone to believing that it was yeah it was the external world that's done it and the coaches don't help that especially when you said that they throw logic and empir- empiricism out of the window and say well this is the answer because that's my speculation and it's mm. golden, it's bulletproof. Or when it's like, you know, I've got all these things going on in my personal life and I'm incredibly stressed and I've got all this stuff on with work, but, you know, drop 10 grams carbs because that's the, you know, that's, the, <laughs> you know, it's like, I think people see it as I understand flexible dieting. I, I know that it's Mac, it's IFYM and I know that I'm going to drop someone's carbs over 12 weeks rather than, you know, I have access to all this information that I've learned. This is a person going through a complex thing emotionally even dieting by itself is incredibly emotionally complex how do i meet that person where they're at and give them the advice that they need i think that's the probably the hardest thing i've I, i've always found as a, as a coach is like trying to think like what what is it that you know could help this person the best rather than just like square peg brown hole like yeah. genetic periodization no matter what you say you know, yep. <laughs> and there's some uh there's some some additional barriers online. Like people always focus on the the scalability of online coaching. Um, you know, removing the commute, uh, reducing the expenses of, of, of travel, um, not having to you know share profits with a gym owner while you can you're a contractor there. All these things, um, and you know, you're getting inherently more motivated clients because they're approaching you and they're training on your own. They highlight all 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 the pros. But one of the things that I found tremendously much easier when I was an in-person uh, personal trainer is that those first 10 minutes when someone walks in the door and you're checking in with them on Monday uh, about how the weekend went and what's going on with them, all of those really personal elements become super apparent. And I found for me it was much more obvious that, ah, shit, I can't, just, I can't just tell them work harder. You know, like that's – I did that for a while, but it was so obviously not working. And it would it would just require such a level of cognitive dissonance and blaming 
and to, to maintain the idea that I actually knew what the hell I was doing. So I very quickly had to figure out, like, all right, I can't just train everyone like they're Eric Helms who has the goals of being a bodybuilder. Like and then this how does is the a client feel as well when they're just told like it's not working hard enough. Suck it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like 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 that's uh, you know, knowing the energy balance or knowing that you have to exercise more has not cured the obesity epidemic. If that's all you have to offer a client, you're a <laughs> shitty ass trainer, right? So yeah. Very quickly, I, I hit that wall, and I had to figure out what that meant, and I had to start uh, learning about you know, motivational interviewing and asking more questions and shutting up and getting outside of my own experience to try to help people improve their own uh, and listening and, and, and putting myself in their shoes, per se. That is so much harder as, as a, uh, an in-person – sorry, an online client uh, because – like and there's things you can do to improve it, but man, when it first started, like you're just getting an email, and they're even more so sanitizing what you can get. They're typing things out. You don't know what they deleted three times before they sent it. You you don't know like at all what's on their face, any inflection. They don't know what to share with you. Like so, then you can improve that by sending them videos, getting videos back, doing Skype calls every once in a while. But you're getting this tiny little snapshot that's curated by them in in an even more. Uh, intentional way than when you're in person because we you know like even when we're talking we show people what we want of ourselves you know um so establishing the trust and establishing the structure and establishing the relationship that allows you to get at all those keys that are locked away inside of them is so much harder online and you have to really set up systems to do that and and like you said the clients have drank the kool-aid right so if if you're a product and you're magic and it's your macro combination and your your training program that matters, then why would I even tell you any of this shit? Like I've had clients tell me like this probably isn't relevant, but you know, I just got divorced and I'm like, Of course that's fucking relevant. <laughs> like that's a bomb went off in your life, you don't think it's gonna affect the rest of your life, you know? So and I, I've had clients apologize, like I know I shouldn't be telling about my by my personal life, and that's like a huge red flag for me. That that turns into I just wanted to kind of share off the top of my head that this is going on in my personal life to me then telling him 30 minutes what our, what our relationship should be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I can, so I can it's, it's the kind of thing that is just totally different when you're mm-hmm. online versus in person and you have to really set up systems and a, uh, a like a, a philosophy behind it to ensure that you can capture all that information. Because I think you were the first coach either of us had ever worked with. Like I hired you and then Yusuf got really jealous so then Yusuf had to hire you and then, you know, that's how it worked. But I can remember, like, initially, you send an email that's, you know, a couple of lines long or whatever. And, like, when you're on, when you're then on the recipient end of that as a coach and someone's like, all fine this week, no no changes, you read it and you're like, hmm, you know, is, is, that, is everything actually all right? And then I can remember yeah. apologizing for, you, like, progressively share more and more with someone as you work with them longer. I can remember apologizing for sharing things that, um, I was like, well, you know, should I have really said that? But I know you definitely helped both of us through, like, really, I'm just turning orange. I'm just going to turn flux off. And there's my sleep ruined. Um, <laughs> you know, I can remember you, you helping us through, like, some really personal, like, difficult periods of our life. And you get, you, you come out the back of, of that process and you're like, I can't believe that someone who, like, at that time I'd never met before, who I initially hired to help me like because I felt like I had stubborn fat and I thought it was the amount of carbs I was eating and you know all these sorts of things and then you end up with this this relationship online with someone I think that was what led us to to push propane more because you realize how much of an impact you can potentially have but I completely agree with you that like accessing that if someone isn't willing to share some I think some people see it as 
this person is outside my social circle. They don't know anyone that I know. I can tell them something and like, unless they go and broadcast on the internet, like it's never going to come back to me. Some people mm-hmm. see, see it like that. And some people see it as like, I'm not sharing this with this random weirdo. But if you can, I think if you can access that from someone, the, the ability you have to potentially objectively guide someone through difficult things is, is pretty cool. So. Oh, it's huge. I, <clears throat> I remember sitting on the morning of my dad dying, listening to a 15 minute video that you, that you recorded, Eric, uh, like, and it was, it was completely off training, but it was exactly what I needed to hear at the time. And like, to, to think like, Oh, <clears throat> the guy who I hired to get me a bit leaner so I can see my pancreas in, in, uh, in good lighting is like, is, is like talking to me about this issue at this time yeah. is like, and that only happens, as you said, from the, the building up the trust and not, not seeing a coach as a, as a supplement as like a, a tool to get you from this mm-hmm. point to this point, mm-hmm. but actually a, a facilitator for you to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it takes some, well, awesome. That's just, I like, I don't want to, I don't want to not acknowledge that. Like, that's really cool to hear. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm not great at, at, at hearing that kind of <laughs> stuff. So I, I just did. I heard it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Awesome. Um, <laughs> no tip. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the I think a really important way to ensure that you start off on the right foot um, is so I, I got I, I want to say this was this this existed around the time or maybe right after I, I worked with you guys but we have like a little like PDF we send to clients that has like about the coaching relationship and it kind of a lot of the themes we talked about and what like a good adult communication looks like is in there mm-hmm. um, so I think it's one thing just to, 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 like, if you listen to this podcast and you're like, that's a really good point. That's how I want to operate. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to switch to videos. I'm going to do more asking. I'm going to make sure that I'm there setting the goals, all that stuff. Um, that's all fine and good, but you're still getting people who are coming to you who kind of have that 12 week transformation mindset. So you need to do a lot of things, uh, both initially and along way to try to help them turn that leaf or they won't be able to help themselves and you won't be able to help them help themselves to the same degree. So for example, sit down and write out what your mission statement is, what your values are, what you believe as a coach, what you want a coaching relationship to be with a client and have it be something that they read and sign. You know, like we have a, a lot of shit we send to clients now. Like we have a 3DMJ uh, like value code, like we have code of ethics, especially for our competitors, you know, like to let them know, like, Hey, we're serious about our athletes, you know, following the rules in the organization. And, you know, if you're going to be a three MJ athlete, you're going to be representing us. So for us to work with you, this is a two way street. We're not just someone you hired. Um, you know, if you're going to represent three DMJ, we want you to be a, you know, an honorable competitor. We want you to, to win and lose gracefully and all, all these little things. And then like, uh, that the PDF we have on good communication and what information we need and how to respond to us. Basically it's, we title it how to get the most out of your coaching. Um, cause that's really relevant to the person. And that's, that's why it's important on, on your end. And it, when, it, when it really kind of the rubber hits the road. So you can do these things without overloading them all with like the 10 page email initially and 14 PDFs, but you give them kind of core message and mission and then over time, like like any relationship, you build that trust, and you you know you you teach them w- what you need, and they teach you what they need from you, and that's the way it should be. Um, like coaching should be the kind of thing that gets better, 
And if it's not, then that maybe not isn't a good fit, or at least it's worth a conversation. Because I know a lot of people, it's almost the exact opposite. Like, yeah, like it should immediately be great. And then if it's not, I'm switching to the next person because the supplement didn't work. And in reality, it's, it's almost like, you know, a supplement that doesn't work at first and then it figures you out and then starts to work. Um, not that Great you know, it's a bad analogy. It's just not supplements. But it's you like creatine. You gotta read yeah, it's, like right? it's like it's like it's like nano creatine is what I'm saying. Yeah. You gotta caress the creatine, you gotta take it out for dinner, you've gotta you know Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Video responses, yeah. man, the creatine works so much better if you record creatine videos. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I found actually that's putting like really it. Uh, that's <laughs> so Eric, unless Johnny has any other questions for you. I do have one more, but it's like the closing question. Okay. So, yeah. What, what were you about to say? Well, I've, I've got four very specific questions that, um, <laughs> that the audience is bursting <laughs> to ask. This, this is the definition, Eric, of a segue. What you're about to experience here. <laughs> I'm down. Put me on that scooter. <laughs> go ahead, Johnny. No, no, you go. Oh, okay. Go. Then I'll so, ask the final question. Fine. So, so, Eric, would you rather, every time you go into a room you have to lick the nearest window, not allowed to explain yourself, or every time you sneeze, you poo yourself a little bit? Lick a window. Really? Okay. Yeah. Is that because of you the... You're worried about the hygiene of the window. The immunological benefits, yeah. you're introducing a small amount of bacteremia every, every day, <laughs> eventually you become this, like, superhuman, resistant to all windows. I, I, absolutely. I, I see it as, you know, like... I'm just making my immune system stronger or I have to buy underwear every day. That's, that's crazy. Oh uh, you know? yeah. True. Unless I just take, actually, hold on. You said only when I sneeze. So what if I'm just on a daily dose of antihistamines? Maybe Fine. I chose it wrong, but anyway. Yeah. And also there's nothing so to maybe from licking windows now when you don't lick windows. So you obviously don't think it's that great. <laughs> you'd already be doing it. Correct. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't truly think this is the, the way to, to never get like any communicable disease. Get, so. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. You forgive me. Well, I, I am a doctor, and that's that, that, that's based on my um, opinion. That's uh, it must be right. Yeah, I mean, I've, if you prescribe I've, me to lick windows, I would do it because you're a well, doctor. I've so. I've got no no evidence for it, but it's um, it's just my conjecture, well, we and, and I'm a guru it. of. Um, that's yeah. the rule. Yeah, uh, trust it. Fine. <laughs> I look that window. Um, so, would you rather? This is from uh, a reader. Would you rather have to eat McDonald's all the time for all your meals? Or never train again. Eat McDonald's. Easy. I think I'll be never fine. Train again. I'd go crazy. I, I could make it work with McDonald's, but but I couldn't make it not, not training. I suppose they've got a decent enough range, haven't they? It's just a shame that none of it's very good. <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a it's a lose lose. But the uh, McDonald's is a, is a livable loss. Fair enough. I think McDonald's is really nice. Oh, really, KFC is the winner, followed by Subway, followed like maybe like Taco Bell or something, and then I think in the US they, I imagine the range is the is the best. I think that's probably the peak. If you're gonna have fast food, that's the place to be. Mm. I imagine Eric, you know better than I do. I'm um, in New Zealand, so it's know, like you, you're right, but it doesn't doesn't benefit me. Well, I suppose what I you do if you're in New Zealand, oh, just pop over to like. Indonesia, Thailand, like where you can just get like chicken curry with rice at McDonald's. Three meals a day, pop up to Indonesia. Yeah. yeah, and you get some more variety. No big deal. I mean, I, I would just be flying. Yeah, I guess I could do like intermittent fasting, one meal. I probably just would stay in New Zealand. So, more I think about this. 
Staying in New Zealand. question. So, mm-hmm. final two. Would you rather have sex with a goat, but no one knew, or everyone thinks you did, but you didn't actually? The, I think these last two are actually really indicative so. of like your your fundamental principles. So, is the goat consenting? Goat's consented. The go- okay, well, if it's a consenting goat, that's a little different. Um, that's quite a deep philosophical question. Is the goat consenting? Mm, is it- yeah, how do I know? Well, the goat can't really give consent. Yeah. How would Since we the goat can't give consent, it would have I'm to make have the to first move, with- wouldn't it? it? It actually would. I would have to. The goat would have to try to sleep with me. <laughs> so you have to seduce um, the goat. Or no, no. everyone thinks you. I, mean, I, I, I don't know if the goat's sober. That, that seduction might mm, not be oh, equivalent of consent. Yeah. True. Um, and also, I got to think about my wife. Like, like even if the goat gives consent, I, I don't want to necessarily. But your wife uh, would think so that I, you did, regardless. Well, if if you if you didn't. You mentioned at the start of the podcast, Eric, though, that everyone encounters these these times where you know you get a big pop of exposure, lots of lots of attention, lots of traffic. Like, if everybody thinks you've done that, I guarantee you would gain more exposure than you have. I have new opportunities. Like if there was um, goat related opportunities, I'd probably have that. I would probably go with everyone thinks I had slept with the goat, but I did not actually. Well, you, yeah, you, as Johnny said, like you'd gain Instagram followers. You could do hashtag goat. It's a win win really. Yeah. <laughs> you just I would be the greatest of all time. Just, uh... <laughs> There's a story I've heard about Jeff Bezos. I don't know how true this is. I think Yusuf probably knows a story, but someone apparently got a hold of some very intimate photos of him, threatened to release them. It was them. like a Saudi prince. Was it? So, he, I, mean, I mean, I imagine because of that, he must have hired someone very expensive to... To acquire them, yeah. Um, but Jeff just went, release them. I'm not being blackmailed. And I think nice. that's such a great way to, you know, everyone, so can, it, everyone can think that about me. I don't mind. But it devalues your ransom as well, doesn't it? Suddenly, yeah, got nothing. nothing on you. Final one, Eric. Would you mm. rather have a incurable body odor, but people always tell you that you stink, or they never tell you? Yeah, so they can tell me, but I can't do anything about it. Or yeah, it's like YouTube. Uh, that's a tough one because the, the 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 lack of agency is, is kind of like ah, it doesn't really matter either way. Yeah, that's a tough one. It's it's the same as not looking at YouTube comments. Yeah, I think I think it's exactly the same because like you've got the incurable smell yeah. regardless, and all. So mm. the only difference really is people telling you every day a negative comment, <laughs> or true, or just. Bad. I guess it. Yeah, if, if you frame it that way, then I guess yeah, not being told. So. Mm. I think me too. Everyone seems to just hate me. It's okay. I, I would just stop traveling to conferences and just do things on YouTube. It'd be fine. Oh, yeah. Solved. Solution. Yeah. I, I like your can-do attitude to these... Uh, would you rather... <laughs> the people in, like, the... the um, So, like, Greg Knuckles, you, Menno, I think that's probably... They're probably yeah. the best. They, best they, they take these questions and they really, really sit and think about it. And oh, I think that's how you really extract the, the humor from them. It was the flip the coin with Menno. Like, would you flip the coin? If it's heads, you get $100 million. If it's tails, you die instantly. He was like, oh, Actually, of course, I'm flip the coin. Oh, I was going to say, see what Eric says. Well, let's, I mean, he, he might not agree with Menno, but... So, flip a coin, I 50-50 chance that I'll die or get $100 million? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't flip the coin. You wouldn't. Why, what would I do with $100 million? Well, right. Uh, okay. Okay, that's uh, a different way of doing it. Uh, Menno was just checkmated. immediately... 
like util- neutral utility from well, dying. Expected value is fifty million dollars. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that, that that has to actually have meaning or value in my life. Like, I'm not. Like, <laughs> yeah. honestly, if someone was like, Do, "Would you rather have a billion dollars or a million dollars?" I'd kind of be like, "They're basically the same for my purposes." <laughs> <laughs> like what am I going to do? You know, I think a billion dollars would would potentially completely ruin your life. If, I think if it has that you, potential. Yeah. So I, I mean, honestly, like if so, I'll get even more scientific with you. Like if you look at data, once you pass a certain level of the poverty line, mm. your it's your true. happiness is the same. You know, I, I just don't want to have to worry about income, money. isn't it? Than like absolute income, from what I've seen. Uh, so there's some of that, but a huge component of it is just basic needs. Like Mm. once you have your basic needs met and you know, like you're not worrying about like needing to get food every day or feed your kids or or pay the bills or things like that. Um, you're fine. You know, Mm. so there is some element of relative, but there's also the, the absolute, what do you need to get the resources in your area and and whatever your geographical location is. And once you've satisfied that, so what, you know, like, so whether I have a billion dollars or a million dollars, it just means I have more in savings at this stage. You know, like it's, I think people get happiness from the, it's like suddenly getting a 400 kilo deadlift because of a steroid cycle. Like that, that feels nowhere near the same as progressively over decades hitting 400 kilo. And, deadlift. and like, Johnny knows he's done both. So, well, not yeah. 400, Eric, not, not yet. Or the um, steroids. <laughs> In fact, he's done neither. <laughs> yeah, I think the last time we spoke to you, Eric, there was a there was a subtle steroid accusation. I don't know whether you remember. It's because of the shape of his face, isn't it? <laughs> he said, "I think you said at 3DMJ, you know, we work with we only work with <laughs> natural." Yeah, I, I can't remember the phrasing, and you said just took that as Eric just accused me of taking drugs. <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> so obviously, we stopped working with you, Johnny. Um, yeah, but, I know. So we had to stop working with Mr. Moonface, Big Squatter. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so, final question. Uh, you haven't asked me how long my legs are, which is the most common question I get on the internet. Yeah. Why? By the way, my it legs? is a secondary effect of certain types of steroids. That's no effect. <laughs> T- tibia growth. <laughs> Does it also shrink your torso relative to your? It actually takes ribs and, and incorporates them into your femur. It's them on. Yeah, exactly. Great sumo deadlift, but it's just rubbish for everything else. That's actually a procedure yeah. I was doing on Sunday. The old uh, torso shortener, leg lengthener. <laughs> the old vertebrae in the, in the femur move. Yeah, yeah, I was like, hey, Doc, I, I want to improve my deadlift. I was like, oh, i got just the thing. <laughs> Come with me. I'll anesthetize you. Can you reverse it? Oh, like, no. take my shins and put them well, in you can't take rib out of femur can you i mean don't be ridiculous <laughs> it's not done yeah. Yeah. um this is going to be such a disappointing question now <laughs> it's so, so serious um We're disappointed it, so it's okay it is just simply um if you weren't where you were now so you're i don't know Younger, wow. just starting out in the fitness industry, thinking of, of maybe moving online or not moving offline, and you could give yourself kind of a, a single piece of advice, what would that be? Uh, um, plan for success. 
I would, I would probably give myself that advice. You know, like it was something I've actually realized throughout this conversation is that most of the stressors I've had uh, were because I was like, well, we'll see what happens. I'm it probably won't work, but, and then I'm like, Oh God, what do I do? You know? Mm. Um, so yeah, I think play, play some chess, not checkers, save yourself some stress. Yeah. I think we, I mean, obviously we haven't written, you know, best-selling books and all that sort of stuff, but I think we, in our, in our own small way, um, weren't ready for the client load that we had. And like the conversation, yeah. the, the, what you're saying before about, you know, you reach this point where you've got 40 clients and you just kind of, you know, falling asleep on you, like drop 10 grams of carbs. You know, that, I think we, we definitely reached that point and then had to try and like unpick our way out of it, which is probably the, I think the worst part of running propane. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I mean, when I, when I say plan for success, I don't even mean like, like wild, like celebrity status. I just mean like, okay, you open a gym. What do you do when you get the, like the most members possible? Like what's your plan in, in maybe a couple of years to open a second location or expand, yeah. you know, yeah. it could yeah. be, it's success on every level. Um, because I think a lot of people don't, you know, and, and that, that's, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good stoic practice, but to, to deal with the potential failure. But at the same time, like, you probably want to deal with things if things go well, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it'll help you appreciate the, uh, the journey. It'll help you also visualize that and, and have a plan for it. And like, yeah, original success for us was, was getting to actually be able to, you know, have a, like a legitimate side income. And then eventually it was, we can actually quit our main job and be primary coaches. And then for me, it was like, Oh, I'm actually smart enough to do a master's, you know? So there's so many little levels along the way where mm-hmm. I would have been, served by at least entertaining the idea that I might be successful at, at the given goal. It's hard to stay stoic when like you open Slack or whatever the client management services and say, like, Oh God, you know, there's so many, uh, so many messages to deal with. So yeah, definitely. Um, yep. and yeah, I think just like a, a public, like thanks to you for, I think allowing us to, I don't think we would have done this, I don't think we'd have done propane if you hadn't kind of encouraged us to do it. So thanks. Just be an accountant and a doctor. That's exactly what we'd be doing procedures to lengthen people's legs. And then figuring, and you'd, you'd be helping manage his, his money from all the, uh, the tibia rib exchanges. <laughs> Maybe we should set up a specialist clinic, like dead, deadlift increasing surgery. The deadlift doc. It's my specialty. Um, like, oh, you have a doctorate and you can deadlift a lot. Like, no, 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 no. That's, that's, that's like three other guys, not me. <laughs> no, I will literally doctor your deadlift. <laughs> and I, I really appreciate that. Um, it's it's uh, a, true, a true honor to hear that. Well, Wonderful. Yeah. Well, Thank you great so timing. much for coming There's, on as well. Somebody is at my door and I don't know who it is. Really? At 10? Wow. Mm. Sort of the, it's the time of night when someone knocks in you it's a bit bit weird, bit concerning. I know, so, I'm a bit worried. Yeah. <laughs> so I better go on well, to that. <laughs> this will be your last podcast ever. Could be. Um, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for coming on. Um, where yeah. people find out more about you, hear more from you. Yeah, so 3dmusclejourney.com is probably the best uh, website to go to to start. That's the uh, number three, the letter D, then musclejourney.com. From there, you can find links to the research review that I mentioned, my books, uh, 3DNJ Coaching, my blog post, the 3DNJ Podcast. Um, 
And uh, then if you want to hear Iron Culture Podcast, we're on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, and then finally, if you want to follow my daily content, or most of the time daily content, that's at Helms3DMJ on Instagram. Wonderful. I, I'm, I'm really sorry. Your... <laughs> it's the supermarket man. He's getting, he's getting irate. I'm going to have to die. All right. <laughs> Eric, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Uh, watching Yusuf slowly try to, you know, is it rude? Is it rude for me to go? <laughs> <laughs>